But right now I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 1. You will know from reading Revival Times, going online and hearing us speak over the last months, that our 2020 vision is preparing us over the next four years to be in a certain place with God as we go into the 2020s. Now, I'm sure people aren't sitting here today. I wonder what it's going to be like in Britain in the 2020s. And you're not thinking in those terms necessarily. But I have for many years been hearing what I believe stuff coming from the Holy Spirit concerning what we are going to be facing in that decade. Decade of great change, and uh, we won't go on about that now, but just to say that that gives us four years for us to be ready for the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for Christians in Great Britain. And uh, so we're looking to see over the next four years in very specific ways that we can grow. It's all about growth, spiritual growth, first of all, numerical growth. God wants us to grow in our numbers, to multiply and to increasingly impact people in our society because we are there, we are present, and we are in increasing numbers. It's not all about the strength of numbers, and, and maybe we always will remain in a certain sense minority, but at the end of the day, we need to be a sizable minority to fulfill this third part of the vision of growth, to grow in influence, to be there when they're having the discussions, when they're shaping Britain into the future that now Britain has uh, chosen to take, a Britain outside of the European Union, uh, seeking in many ways to reinvent itself and to reformulate itself. And the Christian voice must be there, salt and light acting to bring about, as agents of change, a better society for the future. So it's a very, very big vision. But it all begins with spiritual growth. And we have a very specific spiritual growth goal. And it is linked to the cell strategy, the cell structure, the cell ministry, because the cell groups are the best place where you can grow as a disciple of Jesus and grow as a disciple maker. We thank God for all the different levels of fellowship and sharing together. I mean, I love the 11 o'clock service. The 11 o'clock is a service that rocks. It's fantastic. It's great. However, you need to be active throughout the whole week as you link with friends from Kensington Temple and join together in the kind of groups where you can share your heart, you can ask questions, and people can speak to you personally, you can speak to others personally, and enjoy that together, and also link with other Christians. So, our goal is, by the end of the year 2020, to see 90% of people in our church services fully active and flourishing in cell life. At the moment, depending on how we count it, the percentage is a little unclear, somewhere between 70 and the late 70s, 78%, something like that, people are already doing that. And um, notice I say 90% rather than 100%, because I understand that many people come to a church like this, it'll take them a little while to settle down and say, I'm not so sure, do I really want to get that involved? And we know who you are, we know exactly where you're sitting in the service today, but <laughs> you're okay, you're okay, because you can't rush into things. 
something that is going to be fruitful has to be studied and thoughtful and it's got to come from what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. So therefore, we are going for a rather modest goal, 90%. And all of that is geared, first of all, for your spiritual growth. I'm going to read a passage of scripture and then speak from it in a moment. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And um, I've chosen the passage because it speaks into this situation of spiritual growth. I want you to notice, as Paul addresses this group of Christians in a place called Colossae, and um, notice their hunger and their desire to grow. And I want you to see if you can pick out some of the principles that I might also pick out and share with you as to how you can make progress and grow spiritually in 2017. Here we are, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I don't know that in your childhood home, whether there are any notches in the doorpost as your parents carved out and charted into the woodwork your physical growth. A lot of families do it, and in fact, you can go to Mother Care and find it all done, stick it on the wall, and it's all one of those nice things. And sometimes it's embarrassing when you visit with your family and relatives and relations, and they say, oh my, 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 hasn't little Johnny grown? And little Johnny is no longer little Johnny, and he says, please, please, don't embarrass me any further. I don't know if you have that kind of a record of yourself, or you keep that kind of a record in your own home. I wonder if in the Gabriel's household there is a little notch up there to see uh, how Luke is growing, and my, 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 every time I look at him, seems to be growing in the night. And uh, there comes a certain time, however, 
you reach a certain stage of physical maturity and you no longer grow upward. <laughs> Afterwards, the dimension seems to change and the growth only seems to be outward. Now, in your spiritual life, you never grow to that stature of maturity when you no longer need to grow. We're very conscious of growth in the early days when we follow Christ, but I wonder how much we keep our spiritual growth in perspective. Do we actually log it? Do we actually find ways of checking it out so that the end of 2016, maybe you're able to look back to the beginning of 2016 and say, thank you, Lord, this year I have grown spiritually. I've grown in grace. I've grown in the knowledge of God. I have matured. And, and as I look out to 2017, Lord, here are the areas where I want to see some spiritual growth. I want my, gro my prayer life to mature. I want my, my discipleship life to flourish. I want my evangelistic influence to increase. God, help me to grow. Well, one thing I know about this group of Christians, from what Paul writes to them, is that they were a growing bunch of Christians. And they had spiritual growth in their sights. They had set their sights on growing spiritually. However, the situation was becoming increasingly complicated for them, just as it is for us. One of the things we need to do is make sure we grow as much as we can so that a little later on, in a few years' time, when there's going to be increasing opposition uh, launched against the Christian faith publicly, we will be in a place where we're strong enough to stand and say, whatever the environment says, our roots are in God and we are going to grow and we're going to bear fruit for Him. Now, we know that in their situation, there are a number of things that were making it tougher and tougher. There were such things as pressure from their society coming through false philosophies that were gaining currency increasingly in the society, religious movements and teaching. And all of this was focused on one thing, to say to the Christians, you people who want to stick with Jesus and Jesus only, you're narrow and you're missing out on the fullness of life. What you need to do is take your Jesus, mix him up with a few other things, and then you're going to get the best of all worlds. And, and, the, and the closer you stick to Christ, the, the more narrow it's going to be, more difficult it's going to be, and it's going to be more and more frustrating and less and less fulfilling. But join us, and we will, together, we'll have a great time, and you will come into the real fullness, and that's what we have. That was going on in those days, and it, we can see it's going on today. Many, many people say, you believers, you Christians, you want to stick to Bible ethics. Aren't you you're crazy? Why would you do such a thing? Don't you know the world has moved on? The world has changed. Your values that you've held, you've been out there, you've lost the debate, you've lost the battle. Now you just got to accept things as they are, and you have to believe what we believe about all these areas. But if we want to stay true disciples of Jesus, true followers of Christ, not only will we not allow the world's thinking to influence us and draw us away from Christ, but we will increasingly be committed 
to have our roots in God, in the Bible, the word of truth, the God of truth, and the spirit of truth, and say, come into my life much more fully and produce your fruit in me. So the question is this this morning. How do you and I refuse to compromise and to maintain, instead of compromise, an effective witness in our society when that society wants to draw us away from what they consider to be our narrow vision of Christ. Especially when if we don't do that, we will become, in the words of one commentator, social heretics. Social orthodoxy are people who believe everything that is politically correct. What we're told to believe, what we're told to understand, and, and how we're told to live. But we don't accept that. Therefore, in the eyes of society, we are social heretics. What do you do with a heretic, ultimately? If you're fanatical enough, you want to burn them. But in the meantime, you will marginalize them, ridicule them, and even prosecute them, if not persecute them. But I want Kensington Temple to be a church that stays true to the purity and simplicity that there is in Christ, which means we commit not just to maintaining, but to go on growing. And I want to encourage you this morning, it's still close enough to the beginning of the year for you to be thinking about what you're going to go for, for God, in 2017. And first on the list is to say, God, I want to grow spiritually. I want to bring forth fruit that will honor your name. So, in this passage, there are a number of pointers that we can read into and read behind what Paul is saying to encourage us today who say, I want to go on with God, I want to make progress, I want to grow spiritually, what encouragement, what instruction does the Word of God give us? The first thing that I discover when I read this, it really strikes, uh, you know, comes out at me, is this. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to go on bearing fruit and be all the more fruitful in your spiritual life, this is vitally important. Number one, stay close to the community of faith and love. Stick together. Stay close to the community. Now, I find this in Colossians 1 verses 3 to 4. Paul is praying for these relatively new believers. By the way, prayer is what will get you there, but nothing else will. All right? having people pray for you. This is one of the great things about the cell ministry because you pray for one another and the cell leader's praying and in the 2020 vision, I may share some of that. This is how we're praying for you. Every single one of you, we've got a list as long as our are. We might even put them on the screen and share them with you. How, how, how we see you and how we're praying for you. And Paul has an opportunity to say, I'm praying for you. But when I pray for you, first of all, I give thanks to God for you. Because I've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Amen. Colossians 1, 3 to 4. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Notice it's faith and love. Do you know that faith only works through love. And faith, if it's real, will work. We are saved by faith alone, not by works. But faith that is real 
is faith that is living and active. And if you have a living and active faith, the first way in which you demonstrate that is by your love. In the first instance, to your fellow believers, fellow Christians. All faith will remain sterile and theoretical until you work it out in relationship. Let me say that again. All faith will remain sterile, unproductive, theoretical, not practical, until you put it into operation relationally. This whole area of spiritual growth, you could define it as relationship growth. If you wanted to measure how far you developed in 2016, do a little audit of your relationships. In other words, has my relationship with God developed? Am I closer to him now? Do I know more of him now than I did a year ago? And how is that expressed in your relationships, particularly the significant others in your life? Your husband, your wife, your family, your mother, your father, your children, church relationships. How has your relationships, how ha has your relationships developed in the cell ministry? Are you truly more deeply connected, more deeply committed to one another? And that's why it's good to have in the small groups. You can't be equally and deeply connected with everybody. On Sunday, sometimes the best we can do is, hi, bye, see you next Sunday, God bless you. Oh, yes, you look better than you did last year, or something like that. Or, my, haven't you lost weight, or something like that. Or, my, haven't you, and you change the subject, if they've gone in the other direction. That's why we have as many opportunities as we can, beginning with the welcome ministry on a Sunday to get to know you, and in the meal times afterwards and, and all the different groups. Make sure you're part of one of those small groups and cell leaders and, and others. Remind me to give out those forms before the end of this service. No, no. The truth is, faith is measured by love and love is measured by your relationships. You're not in it alone. Love is the highest goal of all true spirituality because it fulfills all things. So take that down, take it to your heart, and be determined this year, I will stay connected. And all relationships are tested. Isn't that right? All relationships are tested. So you don't say, oh, well, uh, I'm disillusioned, I'm going to disappear. God is never disillusioned with us. He never had any illusions in the first place. <laughs> But when we share with one another as those illusory, illusory layers are ripped off and we see each other appealing like an onion with tears streaming down our face so we get to know who we really are, so be it. Let's be real with one another. Stay committed and connected to the community of faith and love. Secondly, and I'm sure you would expect me to say that. I want to give a little bit of time on it today. Stay Committed to the truth. Did you see how many times that word truth appears in our text? Truth. Paul immediately, when he says, I give thanks for your faith and love, and he says, this is because of the hope that is in you coming from the gospel of truth. Let's think about that for a while. The only hope in the world is hope that is based on truth. The only true hope is hope that is based on truth. And one of the things that we're called to do is to shine the light of truth into our society. And even the word truth today 
is a slightly old-fashioned word. Uh, and I heard somebody say to me uh, recently, I was, I was trying to talk to them about Jesus. Oh, you're talking about truth, truth, truth. There's no such thing as truth. I said, what, no truth at all? No, there's no such thing as truth. Holy Spirit gave me a response. I said, is that a true statement? <laughs> a lot of people are denying the, the very concept of truth. And uh, all this may sound very philosophical, and uh, I've done a lot of hard work on this recently because we want to launch our giant of philosophy and uh, thought and philosophy, particularly beginning with apologetics, how we can give a strong reasoned defense of our faith, and many of you will want to be equipped in that. But uh, 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 this whole question of truth is not, it comes, it comes to us not just in the philosophy lectures. It comes to us in daily conversation. You share your faith and then they say, Oh, how nice for you. How nice for you. And you think, well, is that a compliment? Actually, they're trying to pull the rug under your feet. Because what they're saying is, oh, it's nice for you. And they may even lay it on with double cream and cherries on the top of it and say, I wish I could be like you, your, your view, your opinion, and, 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 and that's good, and I allow you to have your opinion, and it's nice for you. You have your truth, and I have my truth. As soon as they say that, they're not complimenting you. They are denying the truth ground upon which you stand. Because if it is true, then it's true for everybody. If Jesus came into this world at all, the Bible says he does, and history says he does. If he came in, then that is true for everybody. It's not just true for Christians who want to receive him. It's true for everybody. If Jesus was raised from the dead, the truth of his resurrection, it is true for everybody. He was raised from the dead. Whether people believe it or not, it's true. So truth doesn't depend on an opinion poll. Truth doesn't depend on whether you believe it or not. Truth is true, full stop. And they say, oh, well, this is extremely narrow. And this is the very thing that these dear saints in Colossae were struggling with. If you look at uh, the rest of the uh, epistle, you find that Paul is constantly having to remind them that all these folk who are saying that there are many roads to truth and many true roads and all the rest of it, all of this pluralism in which there's a big mess and, uh, and the only people who are excluded from that equation are people who say Jesus is the truth. He didn't just say I am a truth, he said I am the truth. And what happens immediately is people get angry with you. Because they think you're being arrogant, they think you're being narrow, they think you're being intolerant, and immediately they will exclude you from their happy club. Get out of there. This is room for everybody who believes anything they like, apart from you who believe Jesus is the truth. What's going on here? I think we need to man up to this, or woman up to it, whatever you want to say. We need to square up to this, because in a real way, truth is narrow. Truth is exclusive. But you don't have to be intolerant. But if you're going to commit to truth, you have to narrow stuff down. Let me give you an example. Suppose 
You take little Johnny, whoever little Johnny is. He comes up in many, many preacher sermons. I'd like to meet him one day. I've heard about him for so long. Maybe he's a big Johnny now. Little Johnny has his first maths lesson. And, and, and here the teacher actually teaches him one of the most fundamental little arithmetic sums ever. Two plus two equals four. And Johnny said, well, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Two plus two equals five. No, 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 Johnny, you got it wrong. Two plus two equals four. Imagine if Johnny said, oh, how very bigoted of you. How very narrow and exclusive of you. You mean of all the numbers that exist, there's only one number that you will accept as an answer, and that is the number four. You are narrow, you are bigoted, you are intolerant, you must be an evangelical Christian. <laughs> of course not. In that little sum, there's only one right answer. And in the way to heaven, there's only one right answer. His name is Jesus. Now, of course, this is where apologetics come in. We have to go and, and, and give reasons. Give reasons. I mean, the teacher might take four little brick blocks out and say, here's two, here's another two, count them together. How much does that make? One, two, three, four. Demonstrate it. And God will give us the ability, particularly if we allow him to lead us in this direction, to be able to give some very good reasons. I mean, who, which other religious leader ever claimed to be God? Which other religious leader claimed and was actually demonstrated by his very enemies to be without sin? Which other religious leader died in the place of humanity on the cross to redeem them? Which other religious leader not only died, but prophesied his death, and not only prophesied his death, prophesied his resurrection, and said, I will do this. I will lay my life down of my own accord and, and raise it up again. Which other religious leader has so much historical evidence that we can read to demonstrate not only that he existed, but he said what the Bible said, he, he, he claims he said it, and proved it was true by rising from the dead. Now there's some good reasons to understand why we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So be committed to the truth. Be committed to it. Now, one of the ways of doing that is understanding the universe in which we live. The universe in which we live, the reality of it has everything to do with God. When we talk about truth, many times we can talk about reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Okay, you come home with your shopping, you've got some milk and got some eggs, and so you've got the eggs and the milk in the shopping bag, so where are the eggs and the milk? Are they in the fridge? No. Are they on the shelf? No. They're in the shopping bag. Why? Because they really are there. It is true that the eggs and the milk are in the shopping bag because it corresponds to reality. So what is the reality of our universe? The reality is, is that this universe was created by God, is being sustained by God, and the ultimate reality of this universe is a one God, one God who is eternal, who is immortal, who is all-loving, who is all-powerful, and he is the one who is the moral lawgiver and the judge of all things and the one to whom we give an account, that is reality. One of the biggest incentives that I have when I 
you know, with all this going on and so many responsibilities, how I can personally ensure that I stay true to Christ is by reminding myself that we live in a universe that is governed by the ultimate reality who is God. And when God chooses to step in at the end of the age, when his reality, which is the background reality of everything we do, the framework of everything that happens, when that background reality is revealed at the second coming of Jesus, and it becomes the evident reality, the truth as it always was all along. Everything at that time which is founded on a lie, founded on deception, founded on mere human opinion, will collapse. And the only thing that will stand that test is that which has been grounded, founded, and built upon the truth. And it's personal and relational. It's not abstract. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. Give him a big praise in this house today. Finally, I'm going to leave some time for prayer. Finally, be determined at all costs to grow spiritually. Let me, let me emphasize those points again. Number one, stay close to the community of faith and love. Number two, remain committed to the truth. Number three, be determined at all costs. In my notes, I've already underlined it once. I'm going to underline it again. Can I just do that? for my own purposes, at all costs. Maybe the camera will focus on that, just so you see. I'm not writing a quick note to myself following this meeting. At all costs. Wow, 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 wow. I didn't say this at the nine o'clock service. Maybe there are people here struggling with the cost and the price that it, that it takes to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Don't worry, I'm smiling at you because it is an issue for all of us. But at all costs, whatever it takes, we say, do you know what, whatever else this year, I am going to grow. I'm going to grow. I'm going to grow spiritually. You know, one of the most encouraging things in this whole area, and we set our face to grow spiritually, is that God has already done the most amazing remarkable, biggest miracle that you can imagine. He's done it already in our lives. And it's so amazing, I'm going to take it first. Paul, at the end of my passage, he builds up to this, and he ends with this. It's his big finale for this section. I'm going to go straight there, then we'll work backwards a little bit. It's the last two verses in the passage I read, verses 13 and 14. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the big incentive. The biggest miracle has already happened. We have been taken out of the domain, the domination, the slavery of darkness and sin and bondage and oppression. 
He's taken us out of that domain, broken our shackles, and transferred us into another kingdom, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of love, and a change has taken place in our lives. It's called salvation. We have been redeemed, rescued from that domain, and it's all to do with having our sins washed away, completely made new. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. That's what is amazing. Yeah, give Jesus praise. So the first thing, and it's like a springboard, not the dead drop from how many, three meters, you know, that Thomas Daly does. It's the spring one. When you spring, you jump on this board and it will spring you, catapult you into spiritual growth. And this is it. Know what has happened to you spiritually. Know it. Believe it, because, you know, when you look inside, you see all that stuff, and the devil will remind you of that over and over again. How can you even be listening to this sermon three times already since he's begun? You thought about that naughty, naughty, naughty thing. The devil is a big accuser, but Jesus is not the accuser. He's the intercessor. He prays for you, and he, one of the biggest revelations we could ever have, and it is revelation, you can write it out. You can go through all the passages of Scripture and I encourage you to do it and write it out. Everything that God says about you, it is amazing. No, it is amazing, okay? It's amazing. And you look at that and it is so amazing that it is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's so amazing that your, 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 your faculty for comprehending and laying hold of it is exhausted after the third line. But the Holy Spirit is the spirit of revelation and he will give you a clear revelation of who you are in Christ. Hallelujah. Get that. Get that. Because it's the springboard for everything. It gives you courage and it also opens up the door for the spirit to strengthen you. Now I'm going backwards in the text. Go to verse 11, would you? Colossians 1 verse 11. Paul prays this and he says... One of the things I pray for you, above everything else, is that you might be strengthened. So he says, may you be strengthened with all power. Now notice how he qualifies it. Not just a little bit of power or some power, but all power. That means the moment you plug into Jesus and you say, I'm going to go your way and I want to bear fruit for you. Do you know what? You plug into all the resources of God himself. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So I want you to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It's amazing. It doesn't just say according to his strength, be strengthened according to his strength, but be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Do you know the glory of God that is being revealed in you? Paul says in another place, this is the secret. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your past. Don't look at your failures. Look at Jesus. He is your present and your future, and he's dealt with the past. And as you look at Jesus, something happens. You are being changed. Changed as you behold the Lord. Focus on him. That's why we love it when you really worship God with all of your heart in our services and encourage you to have a daily, disciplined, and delightful devotional life. That's the 4D ministry. 
And in doing that, something happens. The glory of God shines on you. And you're being transformed by the glory of God and shaped by the glory of God. This is not just power. This is glorious power operating in you. It's enough for you to stand in the darkest place and shine for Jesus. And this is how it operates Three things he says now, for all endurance, patience, with joy. I like it. I'm glad he didn't leave that bit out. Things like endurance. Endurance doesn't always sound like enjoyment, does it? I endure it. I endure my nine to five job. I endure the 42 minute sermons. I endure many things in life, but I don't enjoy them. Endurance is a very important character quality of Christians. Endurance and patience. So if you endure, it, it says it's a long journey, yeah, it says that. If you have to endure, it means that there's a degree of difficulty and it won't always be minute by minute enjoyable. There are times when it's very difficult, the times when it hurts, hurts to follow Jesus, I don't know anybody that says, I really enjoy having my hands nailed to the cross of Christ on a daily basis. No, but you see, we endure it because of the joy that is to come. And when he says patience, it's about, there's going to be things to test your patience. There's going to be things that, that are, are going to get in the way. There's going to be some obstacles in the way. So he's very, he's very clear about this. God is very honest. Don't expect an easy time of this, he says, but remember, one thing you can expect, with the endurance, there will come joy. And in the patience, there will come joy, with joy, with joy. Everybody say, with joy. Okay, I can move on now, you're preaching to me. So let this truth strengthen you, who you are in Christ. Let it also inspire you to be a growing and fruitful Christian. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's such a key. It's such a key. You know, you know, I'm sure, you don't turn on the Jerry Springer show to get your next dose of moral guidance. You wouldn't do that. You will know you don't go to the humanist self-help section in the local bookshop download it online in order to find out how to live. You don't go to some chat show to hear some uh, famous person or other talking about the moral principles of their life, not saying they're all immoral. The point though is this, is that our understanding must come from God. It must come from the Word of God. It must come from the Holy Spirit. Never read the Bible on your own. Don't ever do it. Don't even try. Don't even open the Bible on your own. Always do it with the Holy Spirit. Because the key thought in this message is coming out over and over again, as tough as it might be, as challenging as it might be, and at times as difficult though delightful it might be, the Holy Spirit is always there to help you. He's called alongside you to be your helper, to be your companion. And as you invite the Spirit of God to join you in reading the Word of God, say, Holy Spirit, shall we read the Bible today? Yes, it was my idea in the first place, Colin. All right, okay, let's read the Bible together. 
the Holy Spirit will highlight stuff. He will speak to you and not just give you an ethical essay on how you should live, but he'll open your eyes to the truth, the attractional nature of living for Jesus and how beautiful and how glorious it is. And you'll know exactly what his path is. Now, it doesn't mean to say we kiss our brains goodbye. And seriously, many of you working in different professions, whether you're business people or people in, in schools today, teaching in schools, or whether you're in the medical profession, there are enormous ethical issues that face us in the 21st century. And you will not find them listed in the concordance of your Bible. But you will find every principle that's necessary to guide you to shape you in all the ethical and moral decisions that you need to make. And more than that, you will find the Holy Spirit working and shaping, not just from the outside in, but from inside out, shaping your heart so that by the end of 2017, you're going to look a little bit more like Jesus than you did at the beginning. So it's about being filled with the increasing, increasingly filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom. This is one of the things you must understand. Um, it's not my topic today, I'll come back to it. Let me just slip this in for you today as a bonus, okay? Uh, no double tithes necessary, it's just, this is coming for free. And that is that the Spirit of God lives in each one of us. And who is the wisest of all if, if it's not the Holy Spirit. He is filled with all the wisdom of God himself. He lives in you. And as you share in genuine Christian fellowship, the Holy Spirit in your brother or sister, if they are sensitive to the moment and what God is doing, will, God will give them a word to say of spiritual wisdom not like, oh, shut up, stop complaining, you haven't got it so bad, or you should pray more, you should read the Bible more, or, but not that kind of closed-down discussion type of predictable argument, slap a text on anything if it moves, no. But real wisdom from the Holy Spirit, a word of wisdom will come up as you share together, and it will be the thing that will turn on some revelation light in your mind, and that light on the wisdom will be exactly the thing that will open the door for you fruitfully in your life in every dimension. I want you to give Jesus a big praise for that one because that's the truth. That's the truth. And then coming to the second part of this, verse 10, so as, here's a kind of, he's coming up to what the consequences are, what's going to happen, what's, what's the end game here, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the heart of it. That's the very heart of it. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is a, a, a wonderful thing here, he says, fully pleasing to him. And um, I'm not going to pretend, I'm going to really lay it on heavy today, because this is as different as light is from darkness when we compare how the world wants us to live. The world, and it seems very, very plausible, and it feels good when people tell us this, well, do what's on your heart, you know, do what's on your heart. The most important thing is for you to be true to yourself and to find your own vision, your own values, and to live life to the full according to what pleases you. That's wonderful, isn't it? Except it's a lie from the devil. I'll tell you why. 
because the moment you set about trying to please yourself, you're on a slippery slope and you'll end up as miserable as ever. But the moment you say, no, 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 I'm going to turn my back on that, that's what crucifying the self is all about. No, no, I'm not going to live for the things where I think, according to my education, my psychological upbringing, and all the things that I believe, the lies that I've learned, the idols that I've learned to, to follow in my heart and life. Um, if I live according to those things, it's going to end in disaster. But if I say, no, I'm not going to please myself, I'm going to please Jesus. The moment you say that, I'm going to live for Jesus, I'm going to please Jesus. And the one thing in every decision, at every point of conflict or difficulty or opposition or stress, we say, God, what will please you the most? And if you go for that, do you know what? You get fullness and satisfaction thrown in. And in the end, you'll discover choosing to live according to your new self, which is your true self, not your old self, which is a false self. The moment you identify with the vision and the purposes and the plan and the passion and the love of Jesus, what pleases him, suddenly you come alive. Because he knows you are better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your mother. And your mother knows you better than you know yourself, that's for sure. He knows you so well. He knows the you that is you that he had in his heart and mind when he knit you together in your mother's womb. When he formed you, the you that is you that is uniquely you and nobody else but you. That you is the you he loves. We have fallen from that vision of life. We have gone our own way. But he says, let me restore you. Let me bring you back to this. And when you see yourself as he sees you in his plan and vision for you, you will so love it, you will be happy that you went for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. That's what it's all about, friends. And it is a faith commitment. A faith commitment. Remember Eve... I'm just checking the time, and the devil's lying to me up there anyway. <laughs> Remember Eve, she looked at the fruit, and this stands for anything that you might be tempted to believe will give you satisfaction, all right? Other than Jesus, okay? You look, it was, it was pleasing to the eyes, very attractive, good for food. It had a sense of satisfaction, something good for food. Food is a wonderful thing. You know, isn't it? It's a God, one of God's gifts. And, and you enjoy it. It's, it's, it's sensual. I'm not saying that eating is a sin. I'm just saying that it's one of those wonderful, joyful, physical experiences and, that God gives us. Good for food and uh, desirable to make us wise. In other words, to give us a sense of fullness in our experience here on this earth. In other words, put it another way, we look at it and we say, how can something that looks so wonderful, tastes so wonderful, gives me everything that I dream about, how can that be sin? Yet it was for her, and it can be for us, if it's the wrong fruit. But if it's the fruit from the tree of life, it is so much better, so much more wonderful, so much more appealing. And that's what it is. Finally, he says, Increasing in the knowledge of God. It's all about growing in your knowledge of God. Getting to know him. Come full circle. It's 100% relational. Getting to know him. Walking with him. And we have a hunger to know the Lord. A hunger to know the Lord. Paul, coming to the end of his life, and he had preached every sermon he'd preached, and 
probably preached them many times like we all do, written near on two-thirds of the New Testament, taught the gospel all over the, the then-known world, he says, do you know what? I want to get to know you, Jesus. And you say, what? You don't know him? But the word he used is fully know. I want to grow in my knowledge of God. That's my challenge for you. It's not a New Year's resolution because those are already broken and forgotten. We're talking about a real commitment this year to say, I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Uphold my purity and simplicity of Christ, depending not upon my energy or efforts, but upon the Holy Spirit who is always there to help. We make it our goal to grow spiritually, be committed to one another, and join up with this 2020 vision and say, yes, I'm in. Let's pray. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we come before you, pause at this point in the service to say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for all that you have done to bring us so far. We ask that you'd give us increasingly a deeper desire to know you. And I pray for every single person who may be struggling with something in their life for whom this has become a depressing message because they say, God, I've tried, I've tried, and I just don't know how to go on anymore. Holy Spirit, minister the grace of Jesus to every heart here. Those people who haven't even yet committed to Christ, who don't even know what it's about, haven't begun their journey, I pray draw them closer to you. And in conversations that follow after the service, lead them to somebody who will answer some questions and will encourage them. We commit ourselves afresh to you for 2017 and we ask, bring us nearer to you by the end of this year than we are even right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.